We're not a deterministic control, but we don't need to be. When people are involved, nothing is deterministic. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Robot Industry Podcast. We're glad you're here, and thanks for subscribing. I'm going to have Faisal introduce himself. Uh, we've been friends for a lot of years. Uh, his name is Faisal Herzik, and his company is ArcX out of um, Markham, Ontario. Faisal, uh, we're just recording this podcast at the ADM show, and you're an exhibitor here. And one of the things that uh, you and I are having a little later on tomorrow is we're going to have a fireside chat on on EVs. But before I get to that, could you tell the audience a little bit about uh, who you are and why you're here and what you do? For sure. Our company's mantra is connecting people to your process. So if there's an application for extreme automation or robots, that's not us. We're in high complexity, high builds where people are needed to do certain assemblies due to their dexterity. That's when we focus. So we have an HMI, it shows uh, work instruction or some guiding the operator to do things. And then we make a series of devices in various form factors to allow the, the to connectivity to devices like nut runners, socket trays, wireless tools and click wrenches and so forth. And so we try to integrate the people to the equipment they're using and then tie into back-end systems like the processes like conveyors and quality systems and so forth. So. So one of the things that you you kind of glossed over a little bit, right, is that in a typical application, you might be, um, and you're tying usually always to a quality system, but these are types of things um, that, like if I have a nut runner and I'm meant to put four bolts on four nuts, that you're actually connecting to the nut runner gun itself, correct? That's correct. So the, the systems, and I kind of glossed over it, was the term is, the Japanese term is pokeyoke or pokeyoke. And what it is, is uh, loosely translated, means to, to monitor a human process, right? So yes, uh, nut runners, as an example, our equipment will monitor whether or not a person has done, uh, tightened the right number of bolts in the right sequence within the given period of time as the conveyor is moving, and it records the, the fastening day of the torque and angle of the thing, of the fastening. And the reason for that is if you double hit on a bolt, You'll, get, you'll achieve the same torque, but you won't get the same number of rotations. So you can then determine that the operator didn't tighten four bolts, he tightened three, and one of them he hit twice. One of the innovations that ArcX has done is that you've created a, a really unique screen in the industry which can show all kinds of different information depending on where you are in the process. Can you tell our audience a little bit about that? Yeah, so at the time, and this, we want to say this was about 10 years ago, we leveraged HTML5 and JavaScript long before people were doing this because we saw this as a lightweight solution. Uh, we saw this as where the industry was going to go at the time. A lot of web developers were becoming more and more readily available. It, became, it was becoming a standard. Uh, HTTP and HTTPS protocols were becoming predominant. So we, we modeled our whole architecture around that. The ability to add content and control things had never been done before. When you go to a web page, you're expecting that you, uh, users can navigate through web pages, but it doesn't actually actuate uh, or listen to real-time hardware. So what's novel about our systems is we can talk to hardware uh, you know, at, high, at fairly high speeds. We're not a deterministic control, but we don't need to be. When people are involved, nothing is deterministic. So the ability to have ubiquitous connectivity to multiple different platforms, nut runners, socket trays, and so forth, uh, process equipment, now is becoming more dominant where we're connecting to resistance me measuring devices, voltage meters because of the EV market. All of these things are now becoming integrated to our systems with simple plugins. So. And we're going to talk about EV and EV automation systems in a minute, but I want to also kind of reiterate 
that we're talking a lot about final assembly, right? And we're talking a lot about like a lot of the changes in final assembly, right? Yes. So we, you know, we work everywhere from uh, after after a vehicle, primarily automotive, after the body comes out of press, like it's stamped and it's pressed and it's painted. After that point, that's usually when we get involved because those are historically robotic systems, the stamping press and the robots to paint things. But then after that, as soon as it comes out of the lifter, we're anything to do with assembling stuff. Final assembly is becoming more and more challenging and primarily because you're getting a high mix of features for the operator. So what, what's happening is for the automotive manufacturers to distinguish themselves, they want to give a lot of options to the users, the interiors, the color, and everything else. But sometimes these options aren't even defined until late in the process, like after the vehicle's painted. So there's a very short window from the time that the, 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 the vehicle or the, the body or the shell comes out of stamping till it hits the final line. So all of these things have to be done extremely fast. And because there's high variability. People are expecting to build, let's say, eight black cars with eight black interiors, and all of a sudden a, a white one comes through, but he, he was so used to grabbing, uh, grabbing the black handles from behind him. It's like, for me, it's kind of, I, 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 the analogy for me is, I'm used to driving home all the time, and that one time my wife says, go pick up stuff on your way home kind of thing. I end up at home and go, Darn, <laughs> I was supposed to stop somewhere else. <laughs> no, that's great. And one of the topics that I wanted to talk with you a little bit about is some of your EV automotive customers. And they're, a lot of them are new to manufacturing. Is that correct? Yeah, very new. Um, so there, there's, um, let's just say that a lot of the companies are revolving out of the, uh, the West Coast market for obvious reasons. That I'll leave the names out of it for now. But they've taken a very you know, computer science or computer industry kind of approach to things. So as an example, the, you know, if you have the more, you know, Midwest companies, they, they have more of the incumbent systems. They're slower to enter this market, more deliberate, more controlled. Uh, but if you look at the West Coast company, there's high, there's, uh, there's a lot of money going in. So there's a lot of investment going in. They're all computer-centric companies, but they don't necessarily know how to build a car. They, they can't really buy that expertise um, in a timely fashion. And the other thing is they're trying to mix these, the mentality of writing software to things. And so a lot of these companies are on a huge pressure to perform, right? Not only to perform for their own management and their own stakeholders, but their, their customers. And that's one of the reasons that you're in a lot of these EV com companies as an expert for final assembly, right? Yes. Um, a lot of them have, ha have stakeholders uh, from their investments. You can see that some of these companies are being have investments of $4 billion uh, and up, um, but they're also trying to innovate and trying to beat the competition uh, to getting something out onto the market. They're all shooting for different uh, verticals in the market, whether they're lower end or they're uh, the, the high end stuff. Uh, so they, they have, you know, they have stakeholders, they have people that want to see the stock price grow and everything else. So there's a lot and a lot of pressure. So the, you see um, some companies, uh, again, to be nameless, they have sprints, which is a computer industry term for um, how you start developing new features. They have sprints in the order of eight hours, where a typical uh, computer company would have two to three weeks, a couple developers, and working on a sprint, a series of features. It's fundamentally driven much harder than what you would expect normally. And so how do you get involved in all these EV plants? I assume because ArcX is in a lot of plants, they have kind of a word of mouth thing. It's mostly word of mouth. Um, so what, what's interesting is because of these companies, and I mentioned this before, 
they are poaching or borrowing um, people from other plants, more the incumbent plants, like the Toyota 4GM. And what happens is when these people are, you know, they're younger, they've been trained in a Toyota TPS as an example, but then they love the, 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 the allure of going to the West Coast, um, you know, that lifestyle, working hard, working for companies like Tesla, it's, it's a feather in their cap. And everybody knows that once you work at Tesla for a few years, you can pretty much go anywhere you want, right? So they pay their dues. It's a hard, it's a hard life, but, and, and that's where we get pulled in. So they already know us from people, places like Toyota, and then they go there, hey, can you help us out? You know, we got a new process, a new thing. Uh, and it's fundamentally our marketing is, is word of mouth. I would have to say 80 to 90%. As a marketer, that makes me sad, but I am glad that you had so, so, so much success. And I was going to ask you, is it, the, is it um, plant management? Is it uh, project management? Like who usually reaches out to you? It's usually the engineers. So, um, you know, I talk about this several times, IT versus OT. But we really cater to the OT people, the engineer that has a problem that they have to solve, right? Um, the, where the marketing comes in and, you know, help with collateral and everything else is that's when the uh, upper level decision makers, the people that decide on the money, that's when they need to see collateral. They need to be brochures. They want to be able to go to our webpage and say, oh, these guys are legitimate or whatever. We've already bought the mindset of the engineer and because we know how to solve his problem he's comfortable with us what we haven't bought at that point is the decision makers the people that hold the purse strings and that's where the marketing element uh, really comes in so i wouldn't sell yourself short i uh, wanted to kind of ask you too give me an example maybe of uh, what a common concern is for them like what's keeping them up at night these manufacturing engineers uh, traceability uh, there's a lot of times when they have to uh, worry about, oh, they've installed a battery uh, of, or a part, and they, they, they're worried about recalls. So recalls are, are, is a double-edged sword. One is the perception of a recall is very bad for a company, right? It's just, it goes to their quality. But the other thing is it's very expensive. So the concept of having four nines or five nines, you, you hear about this of, of their quality, is it's hard to get really a straight answer. So I can ask the same question to three or four different engineers in, in, in these various plants, and I go, why is quality important, right? And so some will say, you know, more esoterically, well, if uh, somebody's very happy with their car, they're going to give it to their, their son or daughter when they graduate school, and they're going to go move from a Corolla, they're going to move up to a Lexus, and they're going to stay entrenched, in, in, as an example, in, in the Toyota product line, and then their kids are going to love it, and it's going to last forever, right? Um, others would say, well, we can't afford a recall because that costs us money, right? Or we can't afford reworking at the end of the line, even before the, co the car has left the line, because again, that costs us money. So it depends on who the stakeholder is and what they perceive uh, quality is to them. But in, I, I think it encapsulates all of those things from um, the customer perception of the company to the actual cost of building the vehicle. I think it's all encompassing. Thank you for that. And so what are some of the big changes to EV final assembly versus kind of your traditional market? Because you've been in, in that market for a long, long time too. Yeah, there's um, fundamentally less parts that go in the car, right? Uh, but I would think this, if I had to pick one single dramatic thing other than traceability, right? Uh, because that, that applies to all parts, whether it's an airbag or a battery or any, whether it's electric vehicle or an ice uh, uh, gasoline engine. I would say that the, the energy stored within the car due to the battery, okay? So, and the reason for that is the, the, the battery comes semi-charged. 
it comes anywhere from 50% to 80% charge when it's installed in the vehicle. So the safety concerns about using isolated wrenches and bolts and everything else, that, that at that point, it'd be hard-pressed to call it a grenade, but it could technically be a grenade. Uh, whereas on a, on a gasoline, the gas isn't applied to the vehicle, it's not filled into the vehicle until the very last steps on what they call VP line or, or you know, the vehicle process line. So. And so what are some of the small changes that you're seeing in EV plants? Other than traceability and, and the safety concerns, that's, uh, I'd have to think about that a little bit. I, I think is there's a younger, so it sounds silly, but there's a younger crowd building cars, okay? And so one of our customers, it says, the reason they like our product, it had more sex appeal for the younger workers. So in the old days, they had a, a let's say, a seven-segment display that told the assembly sequence number of the car. Now we have a 10-inch version and a 21-inch version screen, and it shows more graphically what they're doing, what the process is, and the younger audience uh, takes that in. They're used to -to edge-to-edge glass. They're used to iPads. They're used to being able to slide and swipe on their phones. So they're taken to that. So management has already identified that as something that encourages workers. So they don't feel like they're working with old legacy uh, technology. They, they feel like they're now working with new state-of-the-art technology. So I would consider that a minor change and more aesthetic, but it's catering to the younger workers. So could you give me an example of maybe something that, um, hey, we're building this electric car and uh, maybe the wire harness is changing this morning. Right. And so how does that work with your system? So in our system, obviously, um, Sometimes the changes are, are not so drastic, like model changes and wire harness changes. They, they have to be vetted and everything else. But what happens is they have to be running changes. So all of a sudden you can have 100, like so let's say a, car, a plant is building 500 cars a day with a tack time of say a little minute and a half or something. So all of a sudden they got the first 200 cars was, was one uh, wire harness. And then at break or at lunch, they switched over the bins to the new wire harness. Now all of a sudden you gotta have traceability on those but you're still building the same car, right? Uh, the, the other issue is, yeah, so you need traceability. You got to make sure the operator knows. And then what's also very important, what our system allows them to have is quality alerts. So they immediately are given documentation line side to all the, on all the screens to say, hey, there's a model change coming down. We can identify which car they have to spend a couple seconds more and they can bring up a document on the screen to show what it is. So nobody's running around updating binders and making sure everybody on the line has read the binders. We can identify real time which operators have read the quality alert or the notification or the ECO and have implemented it and understand it. Nice. And that's, that is really an interesting thing, which doesn't happen in old school automotive. This is kind of something in new school automotive, right? Yes. It's, and real time. <laughs> the ability to push these changes down to the line immediately and then after a 15-minute break, they've changed all the wiring harnesses out to the new ones, and they've started building the new ones, as an example. And you can not only deliver text to the screen, but you can deliver like movies and animated drawings and like all kinds of dynamic yeah, rich data. We, we can, uh, but because the, uh, the TAC time, uh, TAC being spelled T-A-K-T, is the pitch time, uh, because we have fairly short TAC times in most cases, video is not usually a good uh, media, but we would we would still make video available for training prior to the shift start or prior to the assembly line start, but the ability to quickly grab content or, or you know, an abstract of what needs to be done 
is still available. But yes, we can do both video and uh, static images. The product you're producing is an, indeed a smart device on its own, right? It has cameras, it's connected. Um, so who's in charge of the assembly tasks? Like the, is it the MES system of the car manufacturer? Or is it the car itself? Is that a weird question? No, actually, it's, it's a novel question. Because historically, uh, the equipment used to build and test cars was, was very smart computer-based uh, PC systems. But now with the um, advent of autonomous driving, um, G, uh, GSP, which is a global safety package that you know, Toyota installs in car, all of these things, the, the computers within the car are becoming much smarter. There are automotive companies now that are actually using the, uh, the computer in the car to define how the car is built. Whereas before it would be an, a, you know, an offline computer or something that plugged in and knew how, told which parts to put into the vehicle. So traceability in some ways can be the, the MES system that the car manufacturers operate, but it can be the car itself. Yeah, and then a lot of times that information, the, the quality data, how the car was built and everything else can now technically travel with the car forever. And so you don't have to rely on back-end systems. Um, what, what about batteries and EV? And of course, batteries can be, like you kind of uh, intimated, can be a very explosive discussion. And so is there, is there anything that's really changed in assembly because batteries are, are such a complicated issue? Yeah, um, I would have to say the, the use of very different types of adhesives and how these batteries are cooled and how they're made structurally. The battery now is becoming a structural component of the car, not just you know, a standalone thing. So if you look at hybrid vehicles, the battery pack is installed, right, as, as a module because it's kind of almost an afterthought. But when you have a pure electric vehicle, it, it becomes fundamentally the structure of the vehicle. So how, how many bolts and screws you put in, uh, how, you, how you take it out and, and install it. Um, and again, so I think the, the biggest things are going to happen in the form factor of the battery, whether you're using an 18650 cell or some of the larger ones that uh, Tesla's starting to move towards, and then how you glue it and how you get the heat out. Those, those are fundamental to what's starting to change in the market. Is there any, um, you know, I know it's kind of a, you're, you're one of these people who know a lot about a lot in the EV uh, final assembly. Is there any other things that are happening that it might be interesting to our audience? I would say uh, the move towards uh, autonomous is, you know, everybody talks about it, but I think the, the, the thing that's not talked a lot about is if you look at some of these vehicles, they're allowed, they're now getting over-the-air updates in your driveway. So I have a Tesla Model Y because I buy cars of my customers. I also have a Corolla. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the, I'm getting over-the-air updates every two weeks with new features. And as I get older, I'm having harder and harder time seeing, seeing the screen. But I got an update two weeks ago that I can change the font size of my screen. So <laughs> these are all features that are being added. But historically, I would have to go in to a dealership and maybe I would get an update, but probably not. They would talk me into the next model car. Now my car is an appliance. It's like my phone. I get updates to make, make my product, make the ownership of that product more relevant on a day-to-day -day basis, and then keeps me sticky to, to that car. And I, and I talk to all my friends. Hey, this is what I got. This is the update I got today. I got another little game uh, on my thing. And so it, you know, I feel good about my purchase that the, that the vendor hasn't abandoned me. They're continuing to innovate that product, and I get it for free. And so they, they want me as a customer long time. 
That's great. Thanks, Faisal. Thanks for coming on the podcast today. Uh, did we forget about anything? Uh, not that I can think of at this moment. <laughs> Faisal, um, <laughs> how can people find out more about your system? And, I, you know, we forgot to maybe mention a brand name of your uh, uh, of the system that you're manufacturing. Well, we, we've pretty much um, called our whole architecture GRID, uh, G-R-I-D, because everything is connected, has interconnectability uh, from all our devices, and we see that as a GRID across the shop floor. Uh, all the way to back-end systems, to hand-on systems. So um, we're www.arcx.com. Uh, feel free to look at and uh, contact us if you have uh, a problem you're trying to solve. And how can people get a hold of you? Um, again, from the website. Um, you can call sales at arcx.com or just simply go to the website and there'll be links there for info. Or, or And we're more than happy to talk to you about uh, questions. And, and uh, you know, as as being kind of a mentorship role in this industry, I'm more than happy to talk to people and exchange ideas and solve problems. If we can't solve your problem, we'll at least try to point you in the direction that somebody else can. Great. And I'm going to put some of this contact information in the show notes uh, of the episode. So thanks again, and we will talk soon. I'd like to thank and acknowledge our partner, A3, the Association for Advancing Automation. They're the leading trade association in the world for robotics, vision, and imaging, motion control and motors, and the artificial intelligence technologies. Visit automate.org to learn more. And if you'd like to get in touch with us at the Robot Industry Podcast, you can find me, Jim Beretta, on LinkedIn. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Today's podcast was produced by Customer Attraction Industrial Marketing, and I'd like to thank our team, Chris Gray for music, Jeffrey Bremner for audio production, and my business partner, Janet.